0: So Money is brought to you by CNet, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1406, Sam Dogen author of Buy This Not That, how to spend your way to wealth and financial freedom.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Anybody who leaves work for two to three years, I think they're going to be fine. The majority are going to be able to get a job back at where they were working or in the same industry for similar pay.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Should you become a stay-at-home parent? Should you job hop or stay a loyal soldier? Should you invest in real estate or stocks, buy or rent, marry for love or marry for money? These are some big questions that some of us at least ponder through life. And our guest today, Sam Dogen, has a book a new book that walks us through the calculus for all of these different considerations, these financial crossroads in life. Sam is a veteran of the personal finance industry. He has worked in investment banking for over a decade, all before starting Financial Samurai, his popular personal finance website. Sam has been featured in major publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times. His new book is Buy This, Not That, How to Spend your way to wealth and financial freedom. It's out now and it tackles a lot of these considerations. You better believe he and I got into it and we didn't always see eye to eye, but Sam's goal is to minimize regret even if things don't go according to plan and for all of us to confidently make strategic decisions that coincide best with our lifestyle while optimizing the money we already have. So without further ado, here's Sam Dogan. Sam Dogen, welcome to So Money. And congratulations on your new book. I can't wait to get into Buy This, Not That.
1: Thank you so much, so much for having me. I've been following you for over a decade now. So it's oh great to gosh. connect. Oh my
0: gosh. Well, I'm a big fan of Financial Samurai, your financial website that you started around the same time I got laid off, I think in 2009 <laughs> or so, maybe even sooner.
1: Yeah. Um, so we'll
0: go back down memory lane and talk about uh, the beginnings um, and and just all the the incredible uh, work that you've been providing people as they've been on their own financial journeys. But your new book, and is this your first book, By This, Not That?
1: It is the first traditionally published book by this, right. that, yeah, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Freedom, yeah.
0: How to Spend Your Way, it's an interesting time to be talking to people about spending when all we want to do is sort of rein it in and figure out how to like, you know, not go backwards with everything so expensive, but really what you're talking about when you say spend is those li- really big life decisions that we have to afford some way or another. We have to decide where to live. We have to decide, you know, whether we're going to work for a company or start our own company, private school, public school. We're all in some sort of intersection at some mm-hmm. point in our financial lives. And and I just want to maybe have you take the mic here and, and talk a little bit about what inspired this particular topic, because you've written about all sorts of things. Um, yeah. you, you, it was probably hard to narrow it down, or maybe it wasn't. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, fundamentally, we want money, um, not as the end goal, but as a means to do what we want. And no matter how much money you have, you're going to be faced with many life decisions, whether it's marrying for money or marrying for love, all these fun things we just eventually will encounter. But a lot of us, we face analysis paralysis. And when we have analysis paralysis, we end up not doing anything, and what a shame it is to go through the world and not make choices that you feel good about. And what a shame it is to go through the world and look back and say, oh, I have all this regret. So buy this, not that, how to spend your way to wealth and freedom is about helping people make optimal choices yeah. so that they can live their lives on their own terms and not have so much regret.
0: Before we get into some of these specifics, and you better believe I want to talk about whether you marry for love or money. <laughs> That's super interesting. Would love your take on that. but. Is there a uh, an equation, you know, that we can apply to a lot of these decisions? What is the what is the strategy, the, the big, right. you know, 40,000 feet above ground yeah. strategy?
1: So the top-down strategy is to encourage people to think in probabilities, not absolutes. And how do you do that? Well, I use a 70-30 decision-making framework that states that when you believe there's a 70% probability or greater, you're going to make the right choice you head on with full 100% confidence to make that choice, while having the humility knowing that about 30% of the time, maybe less, you're going to get it wrong. But unless you die or something really catastrophic happens, you're going to learn from your mistakes and get better over time. So you start looking at everything in a probability matrix. And through experience, you're able to hone your decision making skills over time.
0: What are some of the riskier things that we tend to dive into without doing this probability matrix where we have maybe over-exuberance? We're like, oh, this is going to be a sure bet. We think it's like a 90% sure thing, but really, based on what you've looked at and your <laughs> experience and maybe your your community, it's like more like it usually doesn't work out, but yet we always think it will.
1: Well, it's for example, I mean, we all have FOMO, fear of missing out on the latest speculative craze, because the media highlights, you know, someone made a hundred million dollars buying call options in Bed Bath & Beyond. And you're like, what? (laughs) I wanna get, get long on that. How do I join cryptocurrency? I won't spend any amount of time studying the fundamentals of the business, and I'm gonna allocate an inappropriate amount of my capital to these investments. And hopefully they go up, but if they don't, then we're kind of in a world of hurt. So if you think about investing, I mean, investing is the biggest one where we're trying to make money in a risk-appropriate way, but we don't spend enough time, I don't think, studying the fundamentals, studying the landscape as we do maybe buying a pair of shoes or buying a handbag or something where we're really into it and we're doing the research, whereas with investments, I think we need to do more.
0: I have to say, Sam, I really like the way that you're getting into this conversation is really wise because... What I think you're first addressing is not money, but sort of our life values. And you know, when you ask people, do you want to job hop or stay a loyal soldier, or do you want to rent or you want to buy? Yes, these are money questions and we can talk about the math, but you're really first getting to the heart of it, which is our emotions, our values, the way we were raised and all the ways that we can feel confused about a decision. And I find that's always the challenge with personal finance. As you know, as, as someone who's ran Financial Samurai, it's like, there's only so many ways that you can tell someone to like pay their taxes or invest like the advice is the advice, but how you get into that conversation and actually rope them in and get them interested and invested in that solution is the challenge that all of us have as advice givers, but um, you've done it with this book by this, not that. So, okay. uh, Don't buy crypto uh, or, or, you know, the, the meme stock of the day instead buy into this long-term philosophy around investing and studying and just being a real student um, and patience pays. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about investing as investing in a framework based on an asset allocation model, based on a percentage allocated towards, let's say, stocks, real estate, safe investments, your highly speculative investments. And I provide frameworks by age and by how you view your career and what you want. So that think about the buy this, not that as a guide so that It helps you get to where you're going. You might not get to those exact percentages or exact amounts, but it's going to be so much better than if you just tried to wing it. Because in my experience over the past, let's say now 13 years since starting Financial Samurai in July 2009, I've met many people over a five to 10 year period where they just wonder, where did all my money go? And the reason why is because they didn't have this guide, this framework that pushes them along on their path of financial independence. Because- Money is actually relative, right? If we're all making a million dollars a year, we're actually not rich. We're middle class because everybody's making the same. So it's about figuring out where you are relative to your peers. You know, unfortunately, comparison is the thief of joy, but you also need to see where your peers are at so you can see whether you need to catch up or outperform and so forth.
0: So that's investing. So let's talk about real estate.
1: I mm-hmm. you know that's
0: a, a never-ending topic mm-hmm. and always, always hot around here on So Money. How much of your decision whether to rent or buy depends on market timing, if at all?
1: Well, real estate you know, goes in about seven to 10-year cycles up and down. But generally, it goes up and to the right with inflation at the rate of inflation plus one or 2%. But one of the fundamental things I want to share with listeners is that you're not long real estate unless you own more than one property. If you own one property, you're basically neutral real estate. You go up and down with the market and you're short real estate if you're a renter. So you're short because you're a price taker of ever rising rents and ever rising property prices. So just like how shorting the S&P 500 over the past 60, 70, 80 years is not a wise idea, shorting the real estate market by renting over the long term isn't the right idea and i know a lot of people say look i'm just going to save and invest the difference but that is harder done than said if we look at the data in terms of the average net worth of the average homeowner it's about 40 times greater than the average net worth of the renter there's all sorts of reasons but this is a fundamental thing people need to realize renting is short the market you're neutral if you only own your primary residence And you're only able to profit really from real estate if you own more than one property.
0: Do you also find that people who tout renting over buying are pretty well off? Like, because to your point, they have the money. They could if they wanted to buy, but instead they're going to invest it and they have sort of the the capacity to invest with leftover money. People who rent typically are not, not ending the month with loads of cash waiting for them. They're renting for a reason because it's buying them maybe
1: flexibility,
0: Short-term stability, right? Flexibility, all of that. Yeah, know, just an observation I've had in recent months.
1: Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I think we all feel like the next generation, you know, wants to be more free. We'll have different ideas about life and everything. But if we look at the cycle of human beings, you know, we study, we go out into the world, we we try sometimes successfully, sometimes success- unsuccessfully to find a partner, and we tend to settle down, and that. F- that cycle will probably repeat itself over and over again. And so my thoughts are, look, in your 20s, rent, rent like crazy, be more flexible, go where the job opportunity takes you, whether that's in the middle of nowhere, if that has the best opportunity for your industry, go for it. Don't you know? forget about you know, trying to like establish yourself with the real estate and set yourself for 10 years, be flexible, don't let real estate bog you down. But once you decide over at least a, you know, you're going to be there for five or 10 years, you should probably get neutral real estate by owning your primary residence.
0: Just know what it's going to cost, you know, because what happens is too often we, you know, we put it off and then we're 35 and we want to buy and we're like, wait a minute, how much are homes? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, it sneaks up on you. What's the
0: down payment? What? Yeah, it does sneak up on you. Buying or leasing a car is another you know mm. question in your book. And and I feel like personally, I I do both. I have a bought car that I own that mm-hmm. we've paid off, and then I, I've leased our second car because it's the car that we don't really use that often. Also, I bought it, I leased it in the last year, which it was impossible to find a car to buy, and mm. car prices were so high in the last year. And so for me, it was more important to be liquid. And knowing that I wasn't going to like really put a lot of wear and tear into this car, I was like, I'll just lease it. It's my second car. It's our fun car. must be a
1: nice car. It's a nice, you know, <laughs> it's
0: nice. I, I, no, my point <laughs> is financially too. I feel like I don't think I would want it, to, want it to own this car because the carrying costs are really high. Like anytime I want to get an oil change or this or that, yeah. but at least with the lease, it's included.
1: Well, I think um, as we get older the idea of leasing a car is more attractive because it's simpler. When it's done, the lease is done after three years, we can just turn it in, put the keys, you know, thank you so much. But if you own the car, you own it, you're stuck with it. And if you want to get rid of it, you got to go on Craigslist, meet with some stranger you might not like, I don't know, try to barter (laughs) and uh, hope the money goes through. You know, I used to do that a lot. I've bought and sold 14 cars on Craigslist in my twenties and early thirties. And now I don't have time for that. I have no interest in that. Um, But my car buying rule, which is something that it's very polarizing because I think most people don't follow the rule, is the one-tenth rule for car buying, which states don't spend no more than 10% of your annual household gross income on a car. So if you make $80,000, try to stick to $8,000 car. And if you want that $50,000 fancy car, then maybe try to make $500,000. And then people will be like, What? That's ridiculous. $500,000 to make, you know, make $500,000 to buy a $50,000 car. But what I think is more ridiculous is that the median new car price is well over $40,000 now, and people who are making the median household income of about $70,000 are buying that car. And that car is after tax. So that, I believe the car is actually one of the biggest drags for most people on, you know, in their financial journey, financial independence journey.
0: I mean, think about it just, you know, with, with now there are more car accidents too. I mean, God, if you get into, if you need to get into a fender bender, not only do you have to pay for that, but you're out of a car for a while. And you have uh, the rental it, car, it <laughs> is, I say to people, take care of your cars right now, take really good care of them, you know, uh, because it, I've had now two incidences this year uh, oh, for no. needing to get repairs and it t- because of the you know backlogs with car parts and yeah. all that, it takes forever. And then you got to rent a car and then insurance only covers part of that. It's a whole right. situation. I um, totally feel you. And I will just say one thing about the math that what I've always learned from like folks at Edmonds, for example, they're the car mm-hmm. researchers. They always recommend no more than 15% of your take-home pay a month on car payment plus gas and uh insurance. Yeah. So with where interest rates were really low, maybe you could have done that and felt like you were quote unquote okay and not overdoing it. But it is true that when we see car payments get de- go on default, people look at that very closely: car mm-hmm. car defaults as a, as an indicator, as a signal of recessions. Because mm-hmm. think about it, if you're a household and you're struggling. You're not going to not pay your mortgage, but you might yeah. miss a car payment. Like there's a right. hierarchy there. You wouldn't want your house foreclosed on before you would want your your car foreclosed on. Okay. All right. I kind of agree with you there. I do agree. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have leased a car in my 20s. I wouldn't even needed a car in my 20s. I was, right. I was subwaying it.
1: <laughs> Good. New York City, right?
0: Exactly. Okay. Return to work or be a stay-at-home parent. Now, mm. listeners of So Money know where I am on this. Ooh. and I understand that there are periods in our lives when we have to take time out of the workforce. Yes, One of those times is perhaps when you have a child or you're taking care of anyone in your family, but as a, now this is where I'm going to get a lot of the hate mail, Sam.
1: No hate mail, only love. Let's I'm going to get
0: all the trolls. I, Let's go. <laughs> I This is my opinion and it yeah. is rooted in my ultimately just my desire for women and households to be financially strong. And that is that staying at home, whether you're a man or a woman, don't stay home as a life philosophy. I I get it. Like you need to take care of your family sometimes and childcare is really expensive, but I just really think that that is in many cases, that is disaster uh, long-term and Mm -hmm. we can get into all the Mm -hmm. reasons why I think that, but what do you think?
1: <laughs> I love it. I love your opinion and your fire. So my thought is a little bit uh a little bit different, but I'm trying to be um balanced in terms of we have desire to work, to make money, to care for our families, and we have the desire to spend time with our children, to spend as much time with them as possible before they leave and no longer want to take care of us and talk to us, right? So my thought is this: well, first of all, shout out to all the working parents out there during the pandemic. It's been the hardest. To take care of young children and to do your job. No doubt about it. So the way I think about it is this. Preschool starts at around age two to three. And so if you want to be a stay-at-home parent, the first five years are pretty important according to all the researchers in terms of child development. You can consider being a stay-at-home parent for the first two to three years. It doesn't have to be forever. It's two to three years because once they hit two to three years old. They can go to preschool, which takes up eight, maybe longer hours of the day. And that is when you can go back to work. So anybody who leaves work for two to three years, I think they're going to be fine. The majority are going to be able to get a job back at where they were working or in the same industry for similar pay. Um, Now, after that, it becomes a life choice because if they're going to school all day, um, what are you What are you doing? Well, there's a lot of things to do at the house, right? Well, you know you got to take care of the house. There's laundry, cleaning, meals, and all that. But if you want to try to have that balance of career and family, after two or three years, I think that's the time where you should go back to work.
0: Yeah, I generally agree with that. I think if there is a plan to re-ramp into the workforce and you have I have people writing it to me all the time, I'm thinking about quitting my job, but I've worked so hard to get here, but I really want to spend time with my infant. And it also will save us money on childcare. The childcare cost thing though, I find, here's my gripe with that, is that a lot of times the prime, like women t- tend to say, well, it's, it's equal to our or more than my income. Mm. And I go, well, what is it as in relation to your household income? This mm-hmm, mm-hmm. childcare is not just helping you, it's right. helping everybody, you, your partner, and your child potentially, right. like socialize and get out there. And so don't feel as though this is, a, this is all your fault if you don't no. go back to work or stay home. So that's just sidebar there. But I do think that if you're gonna stay home, earlier rather than later and, and keep it to as short as possible. Because well, for women, we know that time out of the workforce, yes, maybe you can get back in the job market quickly. And people understand that, you know, they're not going to be questioning the gap on your on your resume, but you're also not contributing to a retirement account. You're also not contributing to social security. Yeah, the last thing that I want for anybody is to invest in what they thought was the best for their family, yeah. but then end up with no money no financial backup, and a really hard time getting back in the workforce. And by the way, you're going through a divorce now.
1: Right. So that, this is one of my philosophies. If you love your partner, you will make them financially independent as well. It's not just your household, but them as well. That is so important because money is a top three issue for couples And so if you can get money out of the way, obviously, that'll remove the money issue. But it's also about allowing people to have their own checking accounts as well as your combined. So so it becomes a release valve so you can go spend your money the way you want. You know, you had your own life before you had your partner. If you love your partner, you will make them financially independent. And one of the things I do want to talk about is um, guilt, parental guilt of working and not taking uh, taking care of your child. And the way I was able to overcome this, and I think this will help a lot of people, is to understand what is the average amount of time, let's say, a college mother or father spends with their child a day. And the studies show that it's about 120 minutes for a college-educated mother and about 85, 90 minutes for a college-educated father. So if you know the average, then what you can do is you can actually calculate how much time you're spending with your children a day and try to beat that average. And then the greater you beat that average, the less guilty you will feel. So this is just Mm -hmm. kind of my analytical way of looking at things. And so once I said, okay, 120 minutes for a mom, okay, I'm going to beat that by 50%. I'm going to try to go to 200 minutes or something. And And then I felt good. Like I felt good, you know, writing my book in the morning or going to play tennis because I was beating the average. So think about that in terms of how it relates to everybody else.
0: And what do you define as quality time spent with your kid? Is it, can we all be like watching a movie together?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll take a five hour flight to Hawaii. Um, I mean, obviously I think we all know that quality time is more one-on-one attention, interactive time with our children. And so you would say everything's on a spectrum. So spending two hours watching a movie might be considered less quality time than playing a one-on-one game with them. But I think time with them And understanding them, learning from them, and imparting your wisdom—I think these are the moments that uh, we'll never regret when we're older.
0: Yeah, we're big on family dinner, and my son is a really fast eater, and he thinks that when he's done eating, he can leave the table. And I'm like, no, 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 no! (laughs) Family dinner is not just about eating; it's Mm -hmm. about just share
1: share with us your day, (laughs) talking about your day, and
0: you better believe I'm going to get it out of you uh, before dessert. Um, Well, sticking with sort of family relational things, uh, you also write in your book about whether couples should share their bank accounts or have separate Mm -hmm. bank accounts. I used to feel like I had a system down for everybody. Like everyone should have me, mine, and our accounts. And I still think that's valid. Okay. Three buckets. But I think that sometimes we get we go rush, we try to rush to like the system, but Mm -hmm. we forget that communication, transparency, trust, you you brought up, you know, lifting up your partner's financial independence. That is like way more fundamental to, in my view, than like how many bank accounts you share. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what your system is. It's going to fail. What do you think?
1: Oh, I think communication is key. Communication is so, so important. And we got to work on it every single day. And I, I've learned that there is no such thing as 50-50. Um, let's say if one partner is two times as strong as the other partner, are you going to make the partners 50-50 carry all the luggage in the equal weight? No, of course not. You're you're going to divide and conquer. So I think one one important thing is the idea of separation of tasks and focusing on the things that you have your strengths on. And delegating those tasks where the other partner has some strengths, but communication is so key.
0: Yeah. But I do think everybody needs their own accounts too. Uh, Now that I think about it, I think it's important to have your own, you know, your own stash.
1: I think so too. I mean, I've known my wife since uh, 1998 and she still feels a little guilty spending money because, you know, we just, we met each other in college. We didn't have much money and it's just the way it is. But I say, look, this is your stash your account go for it do what you want you know our philosophies and our fundamental thinking about money and what our big overarching goals are go for it it's the release valve so you can do what you want because you're an adult you had a life before me actually we've known each other more than uh you know, we've been married longer than uh than that but um yeah we're, we've all been adults before so to then be confined i think is not the greatest but It's totally, uh, it's up to every single household and individual.
0: Well, Sam, for the time that we have left, I'd love to get your take on, you know, what you think of what's happening in the personal finance creator space. You're someone Mm -hmm. like me who started before there was TikTok, before there was like a lot of this social media proliferating our advice and we were just you know, bloggers and writers yeah. and yes, yeah. the digital age had happened, but certainly not as much content as we see now. And I just wonder, you know, what's next for you? And what do you think of this new generation of personal finance advice? And now we've got crypto to reckon with and yeah. meme stocks and all this hype. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Well, one of the reasons why I started Financial Samurai in 2009 was because I didn't see anybody with a finance background, writing about personal finance. And so I said, well, let me just fill that hole. And it was somewhat similar uh, to writing the book uh, starting in 2020 was to fill that hole with some different perspectives. And I welcome all perspectives. I think the idea is you want to get your message across. And if it's not getting across, doesn't matter how good your content is, how good your advice is. If you're not getting across to the proper mediums, you're failing, frankly. And so I think it's pretty amazing um, about all the creators everywhere. I would uh, encourage listeners and viewers to understand the background of the person creating and giving the advice um, because money is too important to be left up to pontification. This is real world stuff. You get your money right. You can do what you want and you can have the freedom to speak your mind. You don't have to be beholden to anybody or bite your tongue whenever you're offended or something you see a wrongdoing because you're afraid you're not going to get that promotion or raise. So really get your money right, but also understand where that creator is coming from, because you wouldn't go to a doctor if uh, they didn't go to medical school and had some proper practice. So you want to understand and trust that creator.
0: Well said. Similarly, I feel like I want to get on TikTok because I don't see anyone with a finance background or even a journalism background on there giving advice. It's a lot of, you know, 20 somethings talking about what they're buying at Trader Joe's, which is great. Like, I think if they want to, but as soon as you get into sort of like investing in real estate and you know, things that really also come with experience, the education, and yeah. the understanding that really just comes with life experience. I think I know, um, like any social media platform, yeah. it starts with one age group, but then it kind of skews to the other end. And I think that's <laughs> happening on TikTok. You're seeing a lot more of the Gen Xers and I'm kind of on the cusp, like an elder, yeah. a geriatric millennial and myself, <laughs> uh, you see like where we're finding our our, our way in and an audience. So stay tuned for that. I don't know, dragging my feet, but it's gotta happen.
1: Well, you, you look like a spring chicken, so you're (laughs) definitely not geriatric. (laughs) It's the Zoom filter, (laughs) Sam.
0: (laughs) Sam Dogen. Sam Dogen, thank you so much. Uh, Founder of Financial Samurai. Your new book is Buy This, Not That, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Financial Freedom. It's out now. And everyone, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Financial Samurai. Thanks a lot.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Farnoosh.
0: Thanks to Sam for joining us. You can check out more of his work at financialsamurai.com. And again, his book, Buy This, Not That, is out everywhere. I'll see you back here on Friday for our Ask Farnoosh episode. You can send me your questions by DMing me on Instagram, emailing me, farnooshatsomoneypodcast.com and going to the website, somoneypodcast.com and sending me your questions and clicking on Ask Farnoosh. And if you like what you're listening to, hit that subscribe button and leave a review. Forward this to a friend. Every little bit helps a lot. And I appreciate every single one of you listening today. And I hope your day is so money.